Welcome to Rants About Humanity, a podcast where we interview guest experts with passionate opinions about important topics that don't get enough attention. Raw, unfiltered, thought-provoking perspectives with no censorship. With your host, Philip Van Houta. Welcome everyone to the Rants About Humanity podcast. Today I have Benjamin Van Doorslaar. Benjamin is a financial freedom coach, helping others through the rabbit hole and opting out of the matrix. He has built a framework for financial independence in a rapidly changing world called the money matrix. Welcome on the podcast. When did you first realize we were living in some sort of matrix? <laughs> Ooh, I think that's already a long time ago. I think I was always like triggered or inspired by books on how the world works and, and psychology and spirituality, uh, economics, definitely. So I think I've always, since young age, had like this, this idea that there was like a veil in front of us and that there was more behind that veil than, than meets the eye. It's already quite uh, a while that I've been going through the rabbit hole, but I think especially in, for a lot of people, it will be very recognizable. I think like the last two years since, of course, the virus hit us, that's when like for me, I went completely down the rabbit hole full time i think and i wasn't thinking about anything else anymore and that's when like a lot of the the pieces start really falling into, into yeah for me other. it was always like yeah i knew it exists but i don't want to know you know because you know it won't affect my life I, I still remember when i was young and for me one trigger and a lot of people it was a trigger for on my podcast was like 9 11 because often when something happens i asked who benefits from this and are they involved in the decision-making, which is like, oh, the, oh I mean, they kind of have a stake in the game. So yeah, it always was weird that uh, it looked like a explosion where it just falls down vertically, but normally it falls yeah. down sideways. The building was insured by Silverstein just a week ago for I don't know how many money, you know, they did like air tests, I don't know, a day or a week before. I mean, uh, Silverstein just did normally dined in the building every day, but that day, yeah, the point there's some the, the, the cameras near the Pentagon didn't work. So there's a lot of strange, they found the passports yeah. of the, the, <laughs> the hijackers, you know, and then it was all from Saudi Arabia. And then they attacked Afghanistan. It was like a pipeline or something. A lot of them was sponsored by the Americans against the Russians. And then began all so coincidences. Yeah, there was a lot of coincidences and <laughs> also about that time. But I don't know if it was that time. I also know if you didn't see it, but there was this movie Zeitgeist. Hmm, yeah, yeah, Did I you ever it. see it? That was also a yeah. lot of like yeah. introduction into conspiracies or links or like the financial system. Back then... All that information was still uh, that, like this feeling of being far-fetched or, or mm -hmm. like it was like you knew like somehow it, it was true or there was something about it, but you didn't like really use it or implement it in your own life. Maybe, or at least for me, it was like that. Maybe because I don't know my life was good and didn't have anything to complain about and I was thinking about a brighter future. But I think for me, what changed a lot was like really the, the like this whole theoretical information about how the world was working for real was like there was now a big threat that it was actually going to impact my own life I think. yes and now it becomes like, like i was like yeah it's fine yeah. but it won't become that bad or we'll see it when it happens and then it became like closer and closer like yeah. whoa what the hell now it's like out of the shadows and it's actually impacting my life yeah exactly that was like for me the the trigger point and 
I felt like I, yeah, I felt like really trapped. Like, okay, this is this is what's going on. This is what's happening, and 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 now I need to make some some steps, some some changes in my life, in order to yeah to unplug. Like it was the time to unplug was was there. I think to how was your stage of going through it? Because basically, me when this between brackets crisis that happened in March, first thing that I did was just looking at how serious is it, and I was looking at the numbers in Lombardy, and then the context was like okay, like just as a rational human being. And then, yeah, a lot of people are like, oh, it's only two weeks and it's actually nice because it's a pause in life and we can relax thinking it was temporary. And then suddenly this knowledge on the fringes or these uh, dissonant voices came out and it's like, whoa, I became more awake. Did you think in the beginning, like, my, it can't be this bad or I'm a bit crazy? Or did you say, I'm just going to take some time off, two weeks to flatten the curve? How was this process the last year and a half for you? I think it began like I was also like I was taking it like the in the very very mm-hmm. the real beginning I was taking it very seriously and mm-hmm. I was like actually one of the first for in my environment who were like was going to the supermarket to stock up and I was telling my parents <laughs> to you know take this seriously because it's dangerous and that's when everybody was saying like don't be ridiculous there there won't be lockdowns here and and I was like already warning like there's gonna be lockdown but then yeah I don't know what exactly happened but. I started to rationalize things and, and, and read about it and, and saw a lot of things. And then okay, to me, it was clear that this was a bit of a, uh, like the response was was heavily overreacted and, and it felt like a bit of a yeah, conspiracy or like a hoax. So I just started going deeper into that. But for me, uh, directly, it impacted me in a way it stressed me out or gave me quite some fear because I was like scared for my business. You know, I, I was like, oh shit, is this gonna, going to be the end of my business? Because you were in real uh, estate, right? I was in real estate back then. So like the whole market just stopped. And so I've always been the type of person, if, if I had a lot of stress or there was like something that scared me, if I was driven by fear, I could always turn it into something positive. So mm-hmm. I was really working really hard, putting out content. Okay, you know, what's COVID going to mean for the real estate market, mm-hmm. that type of, of things. So that pushed me to, to go really hard. I wasn't leaning back and I saw a lot of people in my surroundings who were like, oh yeah, fine, we don't have to go to work and we can just chill, which also caused them to not really think about what was going on and they just took it as a holiday and what i noticed on the other side was a lot of people who yeah experienced that that time that very the very beginning of the lockdowns like to really think about okay their lives and try to do something with it and try to or i saw a lot of people who, who took their creative side and, and started to actually put out stuff that they were that they were passionate about mm-hmm. like a, mm-hmm. like a very uh, concrete example i saw a girl who was just having a normal job but she had, didn't have to go to a regular job anymore and she started putting out uh, videos on on hooping you know she she was dancing with hoops and it was her passion and now she has turned it into business so that's also something i saw okay no more people are really realigning with themselves and trying to be creative and, and create something and actually try to do something that that matters to them so that was the initial part and then throughout the whole process, for me, like putting all the pieces together and, and really unplugging, I mean, a lot of fear, a lot of stress, a lot of negative energy also, because, yeah, I mean, even though I don't watch the news, somehow the, the, the fear-mongering machine gets to you, especially if you question your own existence and what's going on and some people talking about World War Three and genocide or a war on the people. So, yeah, that's stuff that scares you you know because this yeah, is not it, something it shrinks your, your your future vision right for yourself and yeah. want to have children what kind of world 
will I live in? What kind of predictability do I have to create my own future? I totally get what you're saying here, yeah. That was for me uh, a lot to think about, especially because, I mean, you were worry-free. I mean, we, we come from a generation where I, I, I grew up in a, a place where everything was fine, you know? I, I had a lot of opportunities. I had a lot of wealth growing up. So I never thought about this actually happening mm-hmm. during my lifetime. So I think that was a scary part. But then in the end, I think I, I turned it around and there's still times I'm stressed about it or scared about it or I mean, question a lot of these things or get angry and furious about what's going on. But I think in the end, I, I found something that uh, made me see that I believe everything is going to turn out fine and that everything is going to be okay. And I think the end for me was realizing like, okay, there's no point of me fighting this because this is happening. What I can do is just opt out and start building something new and start building a better future for humanity. And I think that's where I found my my new mission, thinking a lot about, okay, how can I help this world become a better or a freer place again? And I think that's where I found something that was yeah, worth it for me and helped me to really change things up and, and unplug for from, from this matrix. You know? Yeah, I had the same thing that I asked myself, what do I, what. what would I find worthy enough to die for or worthy enough to live for and pass on? And then what's my best constructive way how to bring forward that vision in my own life, the people around me and create my own little banner in the ground that I fight for, you know? Because in the end, you're like, it's almost in the beginning, you're angry, then you're grieving, but then you want to do something with that energy to still make a difference because else you just deplete it. And that's, that's just not... That's definitely not inspiring people when you're so depleted and tired and angry and exhausted. No, and I think it's also like constructed that way that if you give it negative uh, connotation or, or, or you use negativity and fear and stress, it's like an energy drain. It's a leakage. It's constructed that way to just drain your energy so you can't step in, inside uh, or into your biggest power, which is your creative power. And, uh, I think that's the, the the big shift inside my head I made, and of course it's it's an ongoing process because there are still times uh, I told you uh, in the intro uh, before the, the recordings that about what uh, our prime minister was doing. That still like makes me mad. But mm-hmm. then I think about okay, you know, this is happening. Don't focus your attention on it. Focus your attention in, in the direction you you are going right now and create the new which is a far better way to make a change than to fight the old. This is often, and I hear it also in some Dutch podcasts. I mean, where are the Belgian podcasts in Dutch? I have an English audience, but I would love to have a podcast in, in, in Flemish or in Dutch and Belgium to be there. I would definitely be a guest on that podcast. The discussion of what, should we change the system from within or should we create a new system in a parallel community? And... I'm also more an advocate of the second one to create a parallel community. Be very mindful where you spend your focus, attention, money, and who you hang around with because you want to feed the right people. You want to mm-hmm. feed the people on the right side of history. I feel that the propaganda, the the plague through the institutions, that dirty, rusty hand taking over all the important elements that define perception and behavior, I feel that it's so strong in Belgium that it's very hard to change the system from within. But we still need some politicians in Holland, you have some who stands up, you know, and, and yeah. spread it, you know. But I feel it's a very hard battle or front to win when the forces are so overwhelming through all the major institutions. What do you feel about that? I think uh, if you look at our country, specifically Belgium, I think 
and I believe that we are actually genetically determined to be sheep. There is like yep. no resistance. And yes. There's even there's no one in politics who, who yes. stands against this, which is strange. You know, like how is this possible? It's actually some some interesting story that I have. In that and the thing is that when I when I was studying or when I'm studying Bitcoin, I, I discovered this really cool article or an essay or a, or a study which is called uh, the Bitcoin Reformation, and it refers to the mm. Reformation in the years 1500, 1600, where they talk about how the, the Spanish were golden age when Belgium and the Netherlands were still super awesome. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, 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 go the golden age back then. And it, it's, it talks about how the Spanish tried to conquer Antwerp and, I mean, you know, Spanish fury where they like they murdered like half of the population in Antwerp. And then in the end, the, they lost the, the, the Antwerp inhabitants and the lower lands, which was the most important city back then. They lost the, the war. And so half of the population uh, emigrated. And guess where they emigrated? They emigrated up to, the, to the, what's now called the Netherlands. Uh, and the Spanish could never take over the Netherlands for various reasons. But one of the important reasons was, of course, that the rebellious people, the rebellious mm -hmm. genes, the DNA was there. And I think that, yeah, something also clicked for me. Like, okay, that's what we what, what we are seeing happening right now as well. Like in, in, in Holland, there's quite some resistance to, to this whole thing. But in Belgium, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, you come from Belgium. I come from Belgium. I already saw this like four years ago. The sheep mentality of following the media in Belgium <laughs> is insane. Like mm -hmm. the following, just brainless following. It's because, sorry to say so, Belgium, but I think Belgium is a non-country. It's a compromise of a compromise of a compromise. It's basically two parts of a country that were leftovers from France and the Netherlands, which important city-states from the past, Brussels, Ghent, Antwerp, glued together as a buffer between the United Kingdom and France. And I don't know, when they tell the independent struggle of Belgium, and you're going to probably agree, they say, oh, there were some angry people from a second-rate opera in Brussels, the deaf person of Portishi, and they were screaming. And then the Netherlands said, okay, okay, you're independent. What kind of an independence struggle is that? I mean, every Belgian, look at that independence story that we're being told. Isn't that ridiculous? We had so much prosperous minds in the South, and you just give it up yeah. by just some angry opera visitors i mean i'm, I'm serious right like you, you can correct me if i'm wrong but this is the story of our independence right i don't know the exact details about uh, the story of independence <laughs> isn't that independence funny of country, that we don't I mean, even know the story of our own independence yeah, exactly what it, what is what is it being being belgium and I think it doesn't really exist that that culture of of of, of but it's being so I mean people have no idea I think how bad it is in Belgium I think uh, Austrians could invade Belgium and plant a flag and then the Belgians ask can we still get our fries and beer and they would say okay then it's <laughs> Austria that's how bad it is yeah true true and we laugh uh, about it but it's sad because we have a fantastic tradition you know when you look at the 15th 16th century we're the center of capitalism we have beautiful art rubens in antwerp strong city states we had a very prosperous period but it seems that we just are we don't have no sovereignty of ourselves of our country of our values of like standing up it's it's ethically morally philosophically it's the, the resistance is so weak in belgium it it hurts my heart you know it's my home country but it's also the reason partly why i left belgium because that sheep following mentality that false humility that passive jealousy that that is just not the environment for a person who values personal responsibility for an entrepreneur to really flourish
No, exactly. I think if you value freedom, entrepreneurship, sovereignty, Belgium is, is a really difficult country to, to, to do that and to, yeah, to surround yourself with, with those type, type of people. I, I find in general the people in Belgium just extremely short uh, or narrow-minded. Narrow-minded is like, it's like a very... Listen, the people who are listening right now, like I'm, I'm going to summarize it, how bad it is, right? So basically, our previous prime minister went to sign a Marrakesh agreement that a large part of the Flemish countries didn't agree with, and still he went, and then our government fall, and that guy who made our government fall got rewarded by Europe becoming the president of the European Council as a reward. Wait, it doesn't stop here. Then there's re-elections, and then a right nationalist party, let's say right-wing, wouldn't call it extreme, got a lot of votes. And then the anti-democratic parties didn't want to negotiate with them. I mean, I don't care that they're right-wing, if it would be a Green Party, if they got so many votes, let's get a coalition. And then during the so-called biggest COVID crisis in Belgium, because they were counting COVID, that says if it was an Olympic sport, they were number <laughs> one. And they didn't have a federal government during that biggest crisis, so-called biggest crisis ever, for a year and a half. Wait, wait, guys, it doesn't stop here. And then there's a government now where you don't know the people who are a minister. You have the minister of health. Wait, guys, you're going to love this. Who was not even on the election list. Wait, guys, it doesn't stop here. They gave an extra post to the brother of the minister who made our government fall. Uh, And no protest at all. Nobody like, I mean, this is, everybody's listening from not Belgium. They would be like, what the, you can look this up, guys. I'm really saying what happened. Yeah, Democracy, it it doesn't exist. It's fake. It's it's not real. Like uh, it's it's an illusion, which probably not only in Belgium, but it's just so clear that this idea of democracy is just is just an illusion. It's crazy. And we can also look at these people who are climate ministers, a certain minister, and then they defend the country, and then look at what they do after their job. They go work for big multinationals or advisory mm. councils, and some are even ministers of climate, and then they work for Shell. <laughs> crazy. Uh, yeah, it's but crazy to have so little integrities or values or alignment with your mission and just shift your ass to the direction that you like it the most. It's, uh, but that's also the beautiful thing about this time is that people, they actually start these ideas of this way of looking at things. They used, used to play at, uh, at some, I don't know, dark scene, but now people really start to see like, okay, this whole thing is like, it's like completely corrupt. It's totally outdated. It's it's really totally fucked up. So I think more and more people start to see that. And I also believe that, that it will change and that it, it just is an, an old system that is just out, uh, hopelessly outdated. Yeah, this is the thing that I see. I see like almost like an iron grip becoming tighter and tighter. And you can see like, no, it's science. Why? Because I tell you so. Why? Because you can't see the other point because this is the science. And then, you know, the, the iron grip of the censorship, the opinion, the media, you know, more and more global institutions to define everything. Mm-hmm. So if people are not seeing this, the, the, the corruption of these institutions or the one-sidedness, I mean, what are they trying to aim for to just brainwash people so much that they don't think anymore or to feel so nihilistic and apathy that they feel I can't change anything. So yeah, I'll just submit and go through the life and in, in through the, going through the motions or because they're doing it really fast, you know, that grip, you know, and it's so yeah. obvious. <laughs> so I feel like, do they just want to disempower people and feel like, Ah, it doesn't matter at all. Or do they really think that they will be able to censor everything and track their behavior and hijack their perception that people will not realize it even in the long run? 
I think they're just also pressured in time and I think that that makes them overplay the, their own hands. And I think it, they can take it quite far as, as we are uh, seeing right now because we are very docile, we're very sheeple, uh, we're, the, the people in general are very, very sheepish. But I think everyone has like some point on, on, on which they say, okay, no. And I think just because of the fact that everything was so so easy for us growing up, we, we didn't really have to, most of us didn't really have to put up a fight for anything in life, which made us like really weak. So I think it takes, they can push it quite far before there's actually an uprising in the people. But I think at some point it, it will come. I mean, if you I mean, at the at same thing with my dad, right? I mean, I'm, I, I did presentations a year ago, what's going on? And people can look at that in Rumble, a two-hour presentation with all the numbers. And my dad, you know, sorry to say so, but that generation above 50, it's kind of worthless because they were raised with comfort and everybody was like stable, stable job, stable family, get the pension, etc. So they're not a protesting generation. But even my dad is like, you know, to... And that it's fine. It's like, oh, you need a third one. It's like, whoa, what? I thought I needed two yeah. and it's okay. Like, will we keep on repeating this circus every six months? Like, we wanted yeah. to go back to normal through some means, but now it's back to normal with an iron cage above it. Like, whoa, I don't know if this is the new normal. You know, I still see the, it's wrapped in a cage and in a prison. So I don't know if I would call this the, the going back to normal, you know? I think those generations, because what you say, like the third one, like I've also noticed more and more older people who are saying like, wait, wait a minute, what, what's this? This, No, this doesn't make sense. So I think the older generations still have like this really uh, big trust in, in, in our institutions or mm-hmm. in, in our governments, in our media, in these institutions, in these corporations that it's harder for them to like see it as a lie or see it as a big illusion because it would mean for most people also that they've been living in, in an illusion for all mm-hmm. their lives. And it's a funny story because I had like, uh, when we were staying uh, in a camping, there were, we had like neighbors, they were like an old, old couple. And even they were, were saying like, you know, like this must have been planted by the Chinese because like the Chinese, they, they get out pretty good by this. Right. So even them, you know, mm. and these people are really old, you know, so they, they got there, of course. But yeah. even they start, are starting to think like, okay, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so- like I said, they call it conspiracies. I call it at this moment, spoiler alerts, like, hello, guys, the evidence of what I said <laughs> keeps on collecting. When are you going to yeah. come to my side? Because make up your own mind. Don't believe everything, you know, because you can also be trapped in the rabbit hole of not being critical at all. That's like a disclaimer. Mm-hmm. But there's got to be a part of some people who have common sense to say like, whoa, there's some decisions being made, like certain things that being promised. And then six months later, they, they do it and they said they wouldn't do it. There's some discrepancy between what people say or the proportionality of what's happening. I mean, I still see this. Some people don't see this because maybe the lie is so big or they got invested so much, has been repeated so much that it's very hard to, if you call it a rabbit hole, to just go in the rabbit hole that are just too dark and scary that people just run back to the safety forest, let's say. But there's got to mm-hmm. be people who still feel like, mm, this is a bit strange, you know. I think what you say, like the, the feeling part, because I can understand that it's really hard these days to to know what information is, yeah. is, is like true or not. So I think, and for me, I've always been like this. I, I always make decisions based on, on my intuition. So I think, the people who have been uh, seeing this for what 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 we think it really is, they're usually think I think people who are in line with their 
I mean, I don't know, their energy or their frequency mm-hmm. or their intuition. So to call them more like awake people. And I think this is also maybe a, a revolution of, of going back to, yeah, to, to, our, to our real centers and get back in touch with our intuition and align with what, what, we, are really, what we really are. I think it has to do with awareness first and people should be open to become aware because to be aware is not only be open and aware to rainbows and unicorns and happy fluffy stuff, you know, like in, in, when you, once you're aware and you have some knowledge, not like I only want to know the knowledge that makes me happy, you know, like awareness is open yourself up to see things that you don't want to see. And then combined with the reflection about yourself, about the world, about the future, about the past. And reflection is also dancing with alternative perspectives, willingness to change your identity and, and dealing with that uncertainty. And comfort is not about that. And control is not about that. It's about being safe, being sheltered, you know. But I find it the most powerful when you have that awareness, you can know how to relate with it. You can reflect and you can take ownership of your perspective, you know, and get more truth and know how to handle sometimes the deeper aspects of it or darker aspects of it. But most people find that very challenging or confronting. Yeah, and I know what you mean. And I also don't know exactly why that is, but some people just lack the power to to do things truly for, for themselves. Or I don't know, it's like they, they're not in, in tune with or, or it's not there, it's not present in them to really find that inner strength or do something what, what's inside inside them. I think most people are just yeah, on a run from themselves without even realizing that they're that they're running from themselves. But it takes a lot of introspection. It takes a lot of hardship as well. I think it takes a lot of hard work, bravery. Like many people from my what I would call my old environment, they always called me extreme. You know, like <laughs> I was some extreme dude in what I did because I, I always I discovered something. I went really hard in it, and I just, I just pushed it. But for me, like the the way the normies are living today, that's the extreme way of living. It's just labeled as as normal. But so yeah, I, I can't really exactly say yeah, why that it's is. It's what we talked about because uh, you're an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. The basis of entrepreneurship is to take ownership of your life. To you know, integrity. Practice what you preach. Take personal ownership. Responsibility. Cultivate skills, cultivate competency, grow, learn, growth mindset, deal with challenges. So that's become my ecosystem. So just as I talked today about the call, it's like, yeah, like now I see again, like that the majority of the world is not thinking like me, but I was in that bubble, that ecosystem of people like, yeah, coaches, investing yourself. Yeah, high ticket offer. Yeah, let's learn, let's grow, let's network, let's lift each other up. But now you're confronted like, whoa, yeah, I'm different than the majority of people and their way of thinking and how they approach life. Yeah, I think it's like conformism, like people, most people just like to follow the idea of what's normal or, or like the, the, the mainstream narrative. And I think people like us just, yeah, we just like to question and especially have the, the bravery to stand for ourselves and to think for ourselves. And I mean, I, I don't really care what other people think about me, but that's something that probably... I don't know I if you also had this, I was like, I always felt different than an outsider. And I had to defend myself, but a part of myself or choose to defend myself. But a part of me knew that, yeah, hey, Phil, it wasn't your mission to be liked and like everybody else. You were born to be yeah. different and then make a difference, you know? Okay. Yeah, for me, I, I've always been in between, I think. Like, mm. I've always felt, had this feeling like I, I, I didn't belong in some sense. I don't think 
people, most people would have looked or still look at me as some special outsider. But I've always had this feeling that I didn't belong, but I, I never really did a lot with it until all this. And then I just let go uh, of a lot of my previous environment. And mm. I also noticed that it created a lot of room and space for new things to grow that are aligned with, with what I am and how I see things. And especially a lot of new people uh, that came inside of my, of came into my life uh, because I just let go of an, of an old environment. And I think a lot of people are just too scared to, to make that step into yeah, letting go of, of, of things that actually don't serve them anymore. And they just rather settle in or, or just keep inside of that illusionary bubble that comforts them. It's like a warm blanket for them. Like they don't have to think or do much. They can just wrap themselves in that, in that blanket. I also, comfort. I also blame the blame. I think your, your, your large part is also uh, the way how you approach raising children and the way how you approach going to education. Because I have a big background in personality and one of the vectors is the temperament and you have the guardians. They just conform and they just follow. They execute orders. But then you have the three categories where you have the creatives but half of the creatives, they've been told they're not good enough. They're too hyperactive. They ask too many questions. They're too curious. Then you have the intellectuals. Yeah, they work with numbers and systems, but sometimes now they're manipulating science. So I think like, oh, it makes sense. And then you have the affiliatives, which do things to change people's life on a social level. But that's sometimes this empathy, which I see right now is being used for malevolent causes because most of the people do this because... Yeah, either they want to drink a cocktail in Marbella and they want to fly or they want to tr protect their grandma or yeah. protect people. So often these good intentions are being abused or in education, we're not being taught to follow our talents, follow our passion, you know, learn skills, keep growing. It's often not a skill that's being taught. It's sitting there in YouTube and finding a video and learning a course. And then your 20s in the weekend, you finally start cultivating that awareness, cultivating that reflection that is harder now with all the online noise and social media. And then you have to discover yourself in your extra time. That's what it was for me. I don't know if how yeah. it was for you. No, exactly. And I think most people or a lot of people don't have, or at least they, they don't really have that extra time. And I think that's also the way the system is built is to put us in this this rat race that we just have to constantly run, 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 so we don't have the time to reflect uh, on what we're doing and, and what we want to do. But I also believe that all these models are now broken. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the education model, it's of course broken. I mean, I would never send my kids to the type of school I went to, like, Never. Yeah. I, I don't have kids right now. And I, it's also a conscious choice. Uh, to. If, if I would now uh, have not, to sit in a school for eight hours, sit still and then memorize, I would go crazy. <laughs> I would go crazy. I already yeah, went if crazy. You think about it, <laughs> if you think about it, it's crazy that we've, we, we've went through such an education system. So, But I think that's one of the examples that's broken. I think what we've also touched here, governments, institutions, all these structures, all these systems, they're broken and they're they're old-fashioned. They don't work anymore. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. If you just zoom out and look at the bigger picture, it's just a cycle that repeats itself every 80 to 100 years and where you just have an old way of how society is organized and structured and built that just doesn't cut it anymore. And you get a clash because, of course, the old also realizes or the old power structures, they know like, okay, this is the end of our power structure. And so they try hope, helplessly to stay in power and that's what we're seeing right now. And I think that's the clash between old and new that's being played out. And that's why a lot of these institutions that are in power are maybe overplaying their hand. 
And I think this is probably the biggest bottom-up revolution we in our lifetimes and, and I don't know, even in our known history. So I think there's so much going on right now. One, one thing that worries me is that there's so much money, power and influence being sucked to people who have more worldwide influence and control of perception and control of behavior that they get more and more resources to actually still the herd, let's say, or the sheeple, right? In the past, you could have a few influential figures, but they weren't like on media all the time watching television. You could still have some influential figures. You could have Luther, you know, with his decree, starting the Reformation, etc. But right now, in this crisis, you can see that so many trillion dollars, we can talk about that later, money, influence, control is being sucked to the top of the pyramid that more and more means are being given to enslave people, their perception and behavior. So that's one aspect that worries me. I completely agree that it would have to happen bottom up because it won't happen up bottom because you see what side the politicians, organizations, big money, big media, big tech, which kind of side they're choosing in this whole, it starts with an S, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think the bottom up revolution is, is already happening. I think a very important or like even one of the most important parts of it is the revolution of money. I, I strongly am a, a firm believer that once you fix the money, you will also fix the world because money represents our most important asset, which, which is time. And money is always like a technology that we use to store our time or energy in. And so the better our technology to store that energy in, the better we do, but the better our society will do. And the, the more our society will thrive as, as a whole. We've just witnessed 100 years of having a very bad money technology, which was indeed controlled by a very small part at the top of the pyramid. And if you just look at the pyramid, like the closer you are to, to, to the money printer, and the, the money go, the, the money printer. Has yeah, maybe, maybe a, you can, you can pay the picture what happened just before COVID, right? Wasn't Deutsche Bank close to being bankrupt and stuff? Like what was the situation? I mean, we're going to talk about the situation right now and how much money is being printed and how it works. But what was the situation just before COVID or the financial system? The situation has has been actually quite bad since 2008. That was actually the moment the, the bubble burst, uh, bursted, but it just has been kept alive artificially ever since. But if we just look at the bigger picture, this monetary system started about 100 years ago. And that's when the fiat monetary system started with the rise or the, the, the rise of central banks and throughout the past 100 years, one of the most um, known events is Bretton Woods or the decoupling from Bretton Woods in 1971 when gold was no longer, or when the, the US dollar was no longer backed by gold. You see like an exponential growth in the uh, in Can you money. explain to people who don't understand it why that was so important to decouple it? Because he had no real backing then of something substantial? Yeah, so gold has been the people's money for thousands of years because it has a very good store of value. So gold doesn't lose its value very easily. And so people always knew that, okay, if I get paid in gold by, by way of speaking for the, the work I put in, then my time is safely stored into a good technology, which was gold. But at some point, gold also had its had its shortcomings in a, in a global economy, in a world that was more and more interlinked with each other. Gold is, of course, not... They call it saleability in space and time. So gold is not easily to transport in space and in time. And so it didn't start 100 years ago, but 
Since 100 years ago, paper money, fiat money became more easy to use. But of course, the power of, 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 of the paper money was kind of hijacked by the people who started the central banks or the institutions who started the central banks. And it gave them some sort mm, of power. Kind of reminds me of saying like, you know what? Gold is too heavy. Let's replace it by paper money. And maybe in the future, hmm, you know, that paper money spreading diseases, it's too heavy. Hmm, maybe we should make it cashless. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and I'll get to that very soon, but that is actually, I think, one of the um, most, or one of the most dangerous evolutions that we face right now is the central bank digital currencies. But so when this, this fiat monetary system was created after the uh, Second World War, Yeah, the United States became the ruling power of the world. And because of that, they uh, all these big powers came together uh, during the Bretton Woods Accords. And they, they agreed upon that the US dollar would become the world's reserve mm. currency. But at that moment, it was still backed by gold. So every dollar was backed by mm. gold. And a lot of the big powers, they shipped their gold to uh, the States, which uh, was kept there. But then uh, the States went into one of their wars, uh, Vietnam. And uh, of course, Vietnam, it, it cost them a shit ton of money. Some superpowers or some people started seeing that, you know, they're printing more dollars than, than they actually are having gold. So a lot of some superpowers wanted their gold back. And at that moment, that, that situation was not really uh, interesting for the States. And so they decoupled gold from the US dollar. And at that moment, they could basically just print as much dollars as they as they wanted. The US dollar was already the world reserve currency. So if they print more dollars, you know, the, the amount of dollar rises. So it gets inflated. And that's also why inflation exists. And so one dollar automatically becomes worthless. And so the more you print, the less... Yeah, a friend of mine compares, compares it with water in milk. You sell milk and it's 100% milk. And what they do is just pour more water into the milk and still sell it as milk. <laughs> At the end, yeah. it's just a little bit white and that's the milk. <laughs> exactly. But Isn't that the same thing, by the way, what happened in the 2008 crisis that they were putting like A, B, C ratings under very C ratings and they kept on like thinning, thinning like uh, the, the, the mortgages on the houses and it became worse and worse and worse, you know, that in the end, yeah. you know, they sold it as an A rating, B rating, but there was so much bad stuff sneaked into it that it actually wasn't exactly. such a good rating. Yeah. Like, like no, nobody actually knew what was inside these extremely complex financial products anymore. But that's basically what happened. So what happens a lot of throughout history, we can see a lot of examples of this. Like it's always the same stuff. Once of uh, the moment, one person or one institution has the power to control the, the, the monetary supply, they never can handle the moral aspect of it. So they always fuck up. Uh, that's one of the main reasons the Roman Empire fell. That's one of the reasons the African slave trade started. That's one of the reasons why there was Weimarization or like hyperinflation in, in Weimar Germany. Like if you just look at history, it always ends bad. Fiat currencies, they, they all have a fail rate of 100%. And that's exactly what is also happening right now. And now it gets into an exponential phase because since the, the crisis of 2008, they introduced quantitative easing, which is like printing a whole lot of money, try to put it inside of the economy to, to like, how do you say it in English, to like reboost the economy, you know, give it like a boost to... To bribe the politicians to act like there's enough money so they can take measures and enslave future generations to pass the buck to the next generation, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, anything so, that happens in the financial system, try to do it on an individual level. They would say, you can't do it, you're in debt. Yeah, but I just want to buy this washing machine. Yeah, but you're already so much in debt, you can't borrow money. No, 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 we'll just borrow, borrow money. Oh, okay, on a national level, you can just do it. And what if you're bankrupt? Oh, this isn't since big. 
<laughs> you could yeah. never do this on an individual level, what they do on a national, it's, worldwide no, level. It's, it's an extreme unfair game, which always benefits a small club at the top. And so that's why the closer you are to the, the money printer, yeah, the, the easier it is for you to enrich yourself. But what you see is that when all this new money gets printed, this new money doesn't, doesn't end up in the real economy. It always ends up enriching um, the rich. Why? Because they get the easiest or they have the fastest access to this newly printed money. And they don't, of course, don't put it in the economy. They just put it in assets to stay ahead of the money expansion. That's what's called asset inflation. And so that's what causes for the normal people to make it always harder to actually own a real asset. And that's why you see the stock market at record prices. That's why you see the housing market at record prices. Would you say that printing money and, and creating debt is the best way for people in power and with a lot of money to make money? Yes, absolutely. It's their it's their most most rigged game. It's it's the biggest scam in history um, because they literally steal your time, and that's still something that the masses have not woken up to. And that's also what we are now seeing at play that that it's entering some sort of end game because we have the invention of, of decentralized technology, like for example, Bitcoin. Bitcoin was an invention slash discovery, depending on, on how you look at it, but. That's monetary technology, which cannot be controlled by one party. And so it's the first time ever that money can belong to the people. And that's an extremely important invention. That's also a very big revolution that is going on right now. And of course, that's something they will try and need to stop because it endangers their own... Yeah, before I go into... Before I go into uh, cryptocurrency, what also people have to understand is something called fractional reserving, reserve. So when you get a loan from the bank, you give the bank a fantastic may- way to create money out of thin air because they only need how to have how much physical money with the actual money. I don't know, like 1% or something, 3%, you probably know it. So, 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 so when you give them a certain amount, let's say 1% or 3%, they can create 97% more money to invest and then just make more money. And if it doesn't go well, then the citizens pay or the bank is bankrupt and so many people have their savings. So the citizens pay the price. So a lot of advantages, not so many downsides and responsibility when it goes bad. That's what you see throughout the whole financial system is the more crooked you are, the, the richer you become because you simply are closer to the money printer, which is a system that is built to steal time from the masses just to enrich the people at the top of the pyramid. And fractional reserve banking is an important uh, part of it, but the central banking structures are above that system. But I believe it's an end game right now. One thing that I... You say that it's decentralized, but what if some people, the banks, just buy Bitcoin and can influence the word of the Bitcoin? Or what if Elon Musk can just tweet something about Bitcoin and just influence the course that way? And then cronies of him say like, okay, time to invest now. Dump it, buy it. So isn't there still a way that they could massively invest in certain coins and make it go down, make it go up, and then buy it and make a lot of profit? I think there's still uh, manipulation going on, and I th- I think this it's it's clearly still possible to influence the price. But there's a big difference between influencing the price and actually crashing Bitcoin or killing Bitcoin or stopping Bitcoin. Bitcoin has been invented in 2008, and since its existence, we have seen that there's been numerous attacks on it. I don't by the by the mid person who existed or didn't exist. There's like a whole myth about the person who yeah. Created. Nobody knows. <laughs> Nobody knows. That's that's like the 
the, the beautiful part because it also creates like a, a very beautiful story and narrative and, and even sometimes a religious cult, you know. But the thing what we see until now with Bitcoin is that it's it's they call it anti-fragility or anti-fragile. Mm. Is that with every attack, every every attempt to weaken Bitcoin, it just gets stronger. It might bounce back a little bit or or take a hit, but it always comes back uh, stronger. And of course, Elon Musk uh, is is a good example. But when he tweeted for the first time bad about Bitcoin, it influenced the price. But the second time he did it, it didn't really influence the price anymore. So that's how fast uh, it moves and that's how fast the space gets over things like that. And you it's also have two different in- people who look at cryptocurrency, right? Mm-hmm. Like I look at cryptocurrency as a protection, decentralized as an alternative way for the financial system and to fight the current financial system. And you have other people who look at it as a way to make a quick buck, you know, and then use it like invest and then sell. I, I rather look at it long term, like, oh my God, it's going down. You should like, yeah, but you should have a long term vision here. And it's also a lifestyle and a values choice to invest in this. Exactly. Now, everybody, of course, has to approach it with their own vision. But I think most people come in to make a quick buck and then they just end up falling in love or really intrigued with what it actually is and going down the rabbit hole and, and then just staying there for the fundamentals and and, and, and why it, it's actually here. So that's the same for me. I, I got in because I can still remember the moment that a friend of me, we were on this ski elevator, I think it was in France, I think 2017, and he told me, oh, you have to buy this coin. It wasn't Bitcoin, it was another coin, a small coin. You have to buy this, it's crazy. And then I started looking at it. I, I've never never heard about Bitcoin before started looking at it and yeah i also got in for making quick money uh, mm-hmm. uh, but then i but then yeah i just discovered what it really was and i've been studying it, it ever since because i don't think anyone truly really can ever understand what bitcoin really is because it's also something that continuously grows and evolves and and touches us all but it, it's been a fascinating uh, do you have any advice of what to invest in i know monero is also good because it has good protection and it's not so well known but it's also uh, more stable do you have some coins to look at or you think like they they have more potential i, I think it's always dangerous to, to 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 talk about these coins but what i always recommend people doing is first learn about bitcoin Bitcoin is the pristine collateral. It is still the most important crypto asset that, that there is out there. So first learn about Bitcoin and then you can start looking at other projects. I think you have to look at Bitcoin as the true infrastructure layer on which a lot of other things will, will get built on. I'm a strong believer that Bitcoin is here to stay. I'm not a maximalist in a sense that I believe it will be the only protocol because you also have those people. I believe that uh, the future is one of many protocols. But I think Bitcoin is the first protocol which has market fit and is here to stay all the others is like trying to pick a winner like you know myspace mm. facebook i think you should look at other projects like that it's just a lot harder to to, to truly pick to pick any winners but i think yeah, ethereum is doing really cool stuff there's a numerous uh, amount of things being built on uh, avalanche so a- a- avex solana those are also two protocols that are really rising rapidly I think those are interesting to look at. I'm, I'm not saying you should invest in it. It's not financial advice. You should do your own research. But I think people should always start by discovering what Bitcoin truly is. And if you really want to make a fortune, what you should do is you should look at the combination of NFT, gaming, and the metaverse, because that's where we'll see very heavily, or we will see that space being very heavily adopted in the next 
yeah, five to ten years. Because that's yeah, where the yeah, I don't know. Is. Yeah, yeah. NFT, I also heard a lot about it, but I'm still like a virgin and newbie about it. Can you explain a bit what NFT is? It stands for non-fungible token, but if yeah. you, you could you could look at it as just a, a unique digital object. So right now there's a lot of hype around NFTs, digital art, but you just have to look at it as if everything in the real world is basically information, and that information could be transformed to digital to to a digital uh, asset, and that asset can be unique, and that's what an NFT is. So it will revolutionize and change almost every economy, almost every type of business on this planet. So it holds a, a lot of potential, but it's still in a very, very early phase. The Talk risk is low and the potential is high. So often when you invest this, like just as if you would have invested in the beginning in Bitcoin and you would have invested $100, yeah, you could have lost $100, $1,000. But the benefit of potential growth is so high that in terms of risk investment, it's worth it, especially when you're an early adopter and it's a steady yeah. scalable platform yeah but it will be the 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 difficult thing about it is picking uh, is picking the winners of course and you you'll have to dig deep before you understand what project might be might be a, a winner it's, it's like vc investing if and, and that's of course new to basically the way you have to look at it is that it's vc investing for the masses this is the first time in history the masses the normal the normal people the normal guys like you and me get the get the chance to become VC investors, venture capital investors. Mm -hmm. So we, we are now having the opportunity to invest very early on into new technologies. This has never happened before in the in human history because this new type of technology was only available for you know people with mm -hmm. a lot of money. However, how VC investing works, most of these firms, they invest, for example, they focus on one niche and they invest in 100 startups. And so they know that 90 or 99% of those will probably either fail or won't make high returns. But just one or two, they're going to make such extremely high returns on investment that they will make up for all the other mm. losses and still make the investors a lot of money. And so that's also how you need to look at this space. So it's not a, a game of just randomly throwing your money in a, in, a, in a lot of different projects because that will probably turn out really bad. But if you really want to pick the winners, I think you have to think long-term, invest in, in a, um, a time zone of five to 10 years, but really also do the work to, I don't know, find a niche, get specialized in it, and then put your money there. But it's exactly it's what you say. You can turn 1,000 euros or $1,000 into millions. Easy. Yeah, and, my, uh, and, and if people want to know more, by the way, about this, uh, you can talk a bit later about the money matrix uh, system that you have and uh, what you mm -hmm. offer there. Isn't it also worthwhile to look at things in the sustainability sector and the transhumanism sector and the technology sector? Because these people in power clearly are pushing towards this, this kind of asset. So... Wouldn't it be smart to look at things also in this industry? Because, you know, you can go against them, but you can also, you know, kind of count on their moves and then make some money and make an impact on alternative perspectives and communities. What's your perspective towards that? I'm focusing my investments into the crypto space and also in real estate because that's, that's where I've, I've worked in for the past 10 years. But I'm heavily or mostly focused on crypto. So I don't really invest into, mm. other, into other sectors. But yes, I think artificial intelligence and, and, and the green revolutions, those are two sectors that will also see a high growth. 
However, that's not my area of expertise, so I cannot really tell you more. Uh, tell tell more than, than what you just said. Yeah, you talk about crypto. I'm I'm wondering, do you have if anybody is working like us and making money, but they still need to pay their bills with just the physical money or their card? Do you have any kind of strategy or, or priority? What you would say in terms of how much money they should put apart, and if they should invest it in real estate, in stocks, in gold, silver, or cryptocurrency? I think the most important thing towards financial freedom is always, it's a classic, but it's it's just true. It's starting more money starts with spending less. So I think that's an, an important way mm-hmm. to start and always making sure that each and every month you are able to invest an amount. Even if it's only 50 euros, you have to start building a consistent strategy or way or discipline to invest each month. And then what you want to do is yeah, put your money into into investment that have a high risk reward ratio and so the risk is of, of course there but the possible reward for that risk uh, is just very high crypto is one of those examples so i think that's at this moment at this point in the cycle the best way or the, the best area to put your money in of course in, in crypto things can change uh, very fast the stock market i'm not invested why again not my area of expertise but mm-hmm. also it's 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 at record highs and it's artificially pumped and it's completely rigged so uh, i wouldn't put my money there because mm-hmm. at some point it's going to crash and it's going to crash the real estate also extremely or mostly high overvalued in most places mm-hmm. in the world which doesn't mean that you cannot make an amazing amount of money uh, in real estate. But again, you have to really know what you're doing. You have to be able to buy below market value, which is just, let's face it, very difficult for the for Yeah, the this is what I'm interested to... about from you with such a big experience. I think like, you know, when you look at the housing price, especially in Belgium, they're like so high. Do you see housing mm. prices staying the same or going up still? Because my heart is really feeling for those people who got a mortgage <laughs> and then those values going down, those people will, whoa. Because often they... They say like invest in real estate because it's something physical. It's like safety. But when people have to pay such a high price, you know, and there's like inflation, those people are almost chained to the financial system with less freedom. I don't know what your opinion is about that. Exactly. The the idea of uh, buying a house as your best investment and a house to live in, what, I, what I'm uh, saying, it, that's just away from for the system to get you hooked on the mortgages so this is not a good investment uh, a good investment in real estate is one that uh, brings you income so by renting it out and that income that you generate on it is higher than what you're paying yeah. to the bank it's a positive cash flow but i mean i've i've started in real estate 10 years ago and back then people were saying how oh, these prices can't go up anymore mm-hmm. this is insane but what i've seen the last 2 years that was really bubble behavior like people just, I mean, the prices they paid for houses was crazy. Now, however, what you need to understand what's really important is that there's a lot of asset inflation in, in real estate, which means that, as I tried to explain earlier, all the new money that is created doesn't come back into the real economy. The rich use it to stay ahead of the money expansion and invest it into assets, for example, real estate. Mm. So it's also artificially brought up. That's one. Secondly, it's highly linked to uh, the mortgage market. I mean, the real estate is in itself also a credit market because buying real estate is always linked on, of, for most people, linked yeah, on, yeah. on creating creating a debt, creating a credit. So as It's like as renting a house out for the bank that the bank doesn't own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and as long as the, as long as this system keeps, keeps going as long, because 
the, the money is going to keep getting printed, that money will flow into real estate, causing higher prices. So this is the same thing can, that I noticed. By the way, also in Budapest, that you know during this crisis, they're serving people who have enough reserve money, and they're just buying over the buildings, buying over the local restaurants, buying the important real estate things that were destroyed with riots in America. So again, here, that's a huge opportunity for people who have a reserve to survive a crisis to then buy things cheap and then yeah. enhance that influence. But the interesting thing is, if you if you really look at the amount of money inflation, so the, the devaluing of cash money or fiat money versus the rise of asset prices, it's actually the same. So your your real estate might have gone up 15% and you've been thinking, oh yeah, I made it, I made good money with my real estate. But the devaluation of your money has has also gone down with 15%. And so you're actually playing a zero-sum game. So most ordinary people investing their money they're not making it and so i i can see this process keeping to continue as long as there is new money being printed which will continue until the moment that the crash is there which will probably um happen some sometime soon um and they will they will probably create a demolish they probably create a controlled demolition of this current system and so the moment it crashes yeah i mean i can see real estate prices getting heavily uh, affected by that but it's it's a it's a difficult question yeah it's speculation to, and let's speculate yeah. this is all disclaimer and speculation but do you imagine in the future the central banks creating their own digital currency linking it with a kind of social credit score that's being tracked and traced with a universal basic income being paid to citizens based on how much they adhere to certain things like in china this is all you know, this is, uh, you know, big brackets, etc. But we see this digitalization. So do, do you see a move towards this? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, 100%. I think to the whole COVID uh, stuff is more like a smokescreen to get the digital ID installed, to get mm -hmm. people used to the digital ID on their phones, which they they need to carry it all, all, all day long with them to participate in society. Probably I made a presentation about it, technology in your pocket and on your body. And then in the future, why not a chip that's, yeah. that track and traces everything that you do to to inform yourself if you have a heart in fact right? <laughs> you know but this, yeah. this 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 would sound completely crazy if i would have said this like a year ago i said this yeah. to people a year and a half ago you're not looking at the bigger picture you are creating something that centralizes data that sends data to a central institution that can track and trace it that can manipulate your perception and is going to reward you based on good behavior and is going to give you freedoms provisionally as long as you behave and do what mm -hmm. you're, what you're told yeah i mean exactly and i and the the central bank digital currency like some people still think it's it's an idea but, mm -hmm. but i mean they are really building hard at it behind the scenes because they need to get this system in they have to make this thing really quickly because they they need to make sure that not that the masses don't get into decentralized monetary technology and so they openly, they, they say they are working on some ideas of the central bank digital currencies, but behind the scenes, they are, I mean, they're moving because they need to get this in. And what people don't understand yet is that this central bank digital currency is probably our biggest enemy because now they can no longer only control the monetary expansion or the, the monetary supply. They can also start controlling what you do with that money. And so, for example, yeah. if you put a, put a bad comment on Facebook, 
against the establishment, they could block your account. If you eat something that doesn't align with the idea of what the government wants you to eat, which will clearly be linked to the narrative of uh, the Green Revolution. Well, this is what's already happening in China, right? You can look up social credit score, like what their system is. And if you say anything bad about the government or jaywalking, even if there's no car 100 miles away, you still get your score down, you know? Exactly. And that's, I think uh, it's pretty clear right now uh, that they're importing uh, a similar system uh, into Europe or into the Western countries. And the central bank digital currency, the digital euro, is an extremely important yeah, part of that plan. And again, it goes so even farther because right now when you look at Ofcom, sometimes they don't want to make it hate speech. They want to make it potentially harmful content. And they will decide what's potentially harmful but lawful content. And it even goes further because they want to simulate, I'm already, this is between brackets, but spoiler alert, they want to do a cyber attack where they say like, you know what, citizens, we're going to protect you against cyber attacks. So you better give us your digital data so we can protect you so they can track and trace even your digital behavior and then also police yeah. it and link it with a kind of currency or credit score, you know? <laughs> exactly. And so that's the, it's really dangerous. Uh, but I also believe that the more they push for this, the more people will opt out because we also we do have the, the technology right now to opt out. And I think more and more people will start discovering it and will start to be pushed in that, uh, that direction, that, that, that area, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah, one of the things that I say, if you want to find a solution, do the exact opposite of what they say. More focus on the nuclear family, more focus on traditional relationships, masculinity, femininity, more local, less technology, more to nature. The exact opposite of what they're pushing. Yes, exactly. I, but I think sometimes because the idea is also that this technology is bad for us. And mm. I mean, of course, they, they use it in, in a bad manner. But at the same time, these decentralized technologies are the reason we have the opportunity to opt out. So, and But they are that's decentralized. Something. That's the opposite of a central yeah. world order. Right? <laughs> exactly. But we, we truly need them. So we, we shouldn't look bad at these new technologies. And mm-hmm. I think what, that's, some, that's something I'm missing still. And that's why I know there's still so mm-hmm. still a, a long road to go. But there's also still so much potential is that there are now, there's now civil d- disobedience worldwide. I mean, millions of people are, are, are going to the streets to protest against. You mean those right-wing the, nationalists? Yeah, those hundreds, <laughs> not, those hundred right-wing nationalists. So they, they want to rise against this totalitarian uh, regime that, that's, that's getting rolled out. But I've almost seen nobody carrying the sign of Bitcoin. And mm. I think that's still the link that, that a lot of people need to, to put together that because that way you can connect people locally and create parallel communities while still having the technology to connect worldwide and still be able to do stuff no matter where you are and what place you live, right? So you make use of the globalist opportunities, let's say, or global opportunities. Yeah. But also most importantly that we that we get back what belongs to us and to us, and that's money, and that's an a chance, an opportunity, or a way to store our hard-earned money in a safe way without them being able to steal from it and thus control us because they steal our time. And that's, that's, that's still one of the most important things because trade is, is a basic uh, human behavior. We trade time with each other and that's the reason why, why societies form and exist. And so we, we really need a good monetary technology in order to be able to opt out. Without it, we are lost. 
Yeah, I don't know if you know the Austrian School of Economics. They also use like time preference. So in a way, investing is like making a choice now because in time it will reap better rewards. And that's kind of like a trade you do between the risk that you take, the long-term vision, and then a bit with the risk and certainty that it gives. While yeah, like crisis just shrinks your perspective to fear, current day moment, small term picture, and you don't have the long term perspectives or investment long term is the last thing you think about. It's like survival then. Exactly. And I think that's uh, exactly what, what's happening is be, just because we have such a bad form of money. It's also a reason why you see the deterioration of society because everybody's thinking really short term because their money is losing value long term. And for most people, this is an, a very unconscious behavior, but it's it's such a basic human behavior that we do it without without seeing it for ourselves. And that's exactly why it is so important that we can get back to a, a good form of money that makes us look makes us think long term. So we make decisions for the long term, which will benefit our society in in every possible way. What's your view of capitalism? I don't think it's a, it's a bad thing. We are living in a society that that never actually had the chance to be a free market. And so I think that when we get back to a situation in which we can truly have a free market, which could be enabled by Bitcoin, that the only thing that exists in a society would be the things that actually provide value. And so I think it would be a far better system than, than what we have now. I think most people are confused about what capitalism really is. I don't think we live in a in, in a true capitalistic uh, world right now. I think, but it's... I see a combination of capitalism and communism, of more and more capitalism being sucked to the top of the pyramid with big global institutions who almost control a lot of aspects in our lives in a communistic manner, totalitarian manner. So I have nothing against capitalism. I was able to build my business this way. Technology also. I'm still trying to look at the good sides of it. But that these big companies, Amazon, Tesla, Facebook, Google, have so much power over the vision of humanity, our behavior, our perception, I think there should be some kind of limit and not have the excuse, it's a private company, so they can do whatever they want. Because when it affects the public opinion and the public life, is it still just a private company? We are heavily, heavily heading towards a communism sort of world system that I think we're actually currently already in in that kind of system. I don't think we're in a capitalistic system anymore because a capitalistic system would provide the individual with the opportunity to to do things and to, to build something for for themselves, which we might have the illusion that we we are able to do that, but I don't believe that to be true. I know a lot of people in real estate, they make good money and, you know, they dress well and they make a lot of profit. I'm, I'm curious about your expertise with it. I sometimes wonder why these rich people, ultra rich people, they're so-called philanthropists, but they actually just invest in things that enhance their public image or they make more money. Have you noticed anything about money, fame that just changes people or certain character traits in people that just makes them pile up more money instead of just creating more freedom for people, what you're doing, what I'm doing, creating a legacy, creating an impact in people, their lives. I mean, the very big ones, right? It happens, absolutely. But I don't see true philanthropy, like true giving back to society on like a very high level in terms of money and fame. I don't see that happening a lot. No, I think money most of the time just amplifies or a lot of money just is like an amplifier for, for your character. And I think... I mean, if we just talk about this very typical cliche, rich real estate, they're just focused on the money on itself, a very abstract goal, you know, more money, that's that's their goal. 
So there's, there's, there's usually not much depth to these people and they're just confused themselves. I think, I, I think they just don't know any better and they just don't understand what money really is. And I mean, I think most people who have a lot of, a lot of people who have a lot of money, they don't understand what, what money really is. Yeah, they or, just are they bored they or are they so addicted to money? Because maybe, maybe you will see, talk to me when I'm a millionaire and see if I changed or not. But when I make certain kind of figures, my, my mission is not to make seven or eight figures if I have to work more or I don't have a lifestyle that inspires people at a certain point. And I hope I make this intention for myself. Like once I hit that, I'm enough because you can keep on postponing your happiness mm-hmm. and fulfillment. But at a certain point, you want to say like, it's enough. Like what do you create a fulfilling life and how can I give back to people around me, etc.? You don't have to be Mother Teresa, etc. But I would imagine that would be some kind of point but i see a lot of people it just becomes an empty bottomless pit that keeps on raising the bar without being fulfilled yeah i think they're just usually confused and i think it's for for many it's like a a feeding system towards the ego or they think that yeah having a lot of money is what makes them worth something i think i think it's more something uh and i think just confused not just understanding what what money really is there is, some kind of bar money. that you set for yourself because if you help people with the money matrix make more money you can like let's make more money let's invest oh how can i invest more which is good but ha- do you have a kind of why a mission a kind of point that you check in with yourself without being so consumed by the money and i mean it's good to think long term but you can be consumed by it you know yeah. instead of invested in it you know so far it, that that just hasn't happened to me because i'm always drawn to to try to do stuff that that has actual value, not just perceived value in society. So for me, it was never about money. Uh, it was always about, okay, what can I do that makes me feel good or that, that adds value to other people or to society. So no, I think my, my goals in, like in numbers is, is quite big because I, can, I, I, understand, I also understand what money is. So it represents energy and the more energy you can store some somewhere or can invest somewhere. You can, you just create a leverage on your own time. So you can do a lot of interesting stuff uh, with that energy or with that money. And I just see crazy opportunity in front of us in the next... Uh, yeah, for me, it's also about my why, well, why that I try to like tune in, why money, you know, what can I do? What kind of impact can I make? On the other hand, I know, and I have this with a lot of clients, just had it like yesterday, man, people have so much money mindset limiting beliefs. So many judgment, mm. money is evil, I will change, yeah. and I'll become a bad person, I have to be affordable and all these things, which is actually not helping them make the impact that they want because a lot of times these are people-pleasing people, these are people with integrity, I love these people, but there's so much myths or shame around money or having money also. So I don't want to just attack people with money, it can be a great tool. So that's another misconception people have. Yeah, there's a lot of misconception and I think that's one of the, the most limiting belief in, in money is that, you know, it's not important or oh, I don't need that much money. The people who say that usually are typically stuck in the rat race and it's exactly what the system wants them or it's exactly what, how the system wants them to think about money. So yeah, it's extremely important. It's, it's one of the, the most important things for a, a fulfilling life is money. It's, you cannot get around that. It's just stored energy and your energy is what uh, gives you possibilities to do other, other fun things in life so, or make impact, as, as you said. So I think uh, once if people should start understanding better what money is, it can have a, a ridiculously big impact uh, on their lives. And in the end, I, I have a term which is 
F terms, the six things you should invest in, focus, time, energy, money, relationships, and skills. If you ever want to get somewhere, focus on these things and they will influence each other. More money, you can create more time. More, more time, you can create more skills. More skills, you can create more money, more focus. It, it all influences each other. But it's yeah, a matter exactly. of not being consumed and not consuming things. It's investing in these things and using them wildly, which is sometimes is sacrificing current comfort and pleasure for long-term more fulfillment and meaning. Yeah, exactly. For me, it's like my goal was is never money. Uh, the way I see money is it's a, it's a tool for me to, to to do whatever I want when wherever I wanted it with whoever I wanted. So it gives me freedom, and and that's how I look at it, and that's how I try to use it. And I try to build something that creates money for me without me having to do directly anything. And put time in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so 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 that's uh, that's how I look at it. And that's how I try to use it. And yeah, of course, create uh, create impact. And the last thing I want to touch on, you also kind of a little bit opt out, right? Because I'm talking with you right now with your mobile home and you're like traveling in these times of uncertainty. How was that a bit for you? Because I also love the fact that just before we had the call, you talked a bit like sometimes it's difficult to find your stability and rhythm and consistency while traveling all the time, which I relate with. So how how has this been for you? Because people think of ultimate freedom. Yeah, but if you want to be an entrepreneur, it also comes with responsibility, you know, in some structure, you know, else it's chaos. You know, like we're on a, in the in the mobile home right now, and like if you go on a vacation with a mo- with a mobile home, one of the cool things about it is that every little thing becomes an adventure. I mean, you have to go to the public dishwasher or the public toilets to wash your uh, your plates after dinner, and so it gets fun because then you you talk a little bit with the other person. And, I mean, it's just an experience. But if you're trying to build a business next to it, it becomes quite challenging. I have to admit that my productivity is not where it used to be, which Kind of bothers me because I like to be very productive. I like to create. I see the opportunity, so I want to. I want to create. I want to do stuff. But on the other hand, right now it's a temporary solution for us because yeah, we don't know what's going to happen this winter. We want to. We want to keep our options open. And I mean, I can't complain. I'm. I'm looking at the sea right now. My mornings are usually spent doing some workouts next to the beach and then go for a swim and meditate while I'm. Uh, I'm lying in the sea. And here in Spain, I don't really notice that much COVID bullshit. So mm-hmm. people are wearing masks in the shop, but apart from that, mm-hmm. I, I don't really mm-hmm. notice much much of those, th- those things. So yeah, I mean, it comes with benefits and it comes with downsides. But I mean, I can't complain. So uh, I wouldn't want it any other way. I mean, spending spending another winter in Belgium, oh man, no, no way, no way. <laughs> that shit's depressing. Yeah, Seriously, and also my parents, person. it's like, yeah, you know, I couldn't visit them in Christmas. And they were like, yeah, it will soon be over, just a little while. I was like, mom, you've been telling it was a little while. Like, <laughs> go, don't you know this is here to stay? And also when they go for the pass, it's like, mom, you're still going to protest whether you like to or not, because they made sure now that I can't go out drinking with you or I might not be able to visit you. Don't you see? Yeah. Like, it's not just about you. It's about our future society. And we become so complacent. I guess, of, of what we have and what's underlying all the freedoms that we have, that they're taking it away and we have to fight for them again, which, you know, is scary, but also makes me feel alive because now people realize again how valuable it is and not just with the yeah. artificial comfort at the surface. Exactly. And I think like this winter is going to make a whole lot of stuff clear. And I still hope I'm wrong. Seriously, I still. I think they're going to be violence. Uh, I mean, this uh, is. Yeah. I really hope that everything that I'm saying right now is not right and won't come true. But I think there's going to be violence because they will lock down again. They can protest again. Very good measure to 
vote for laws to extend power without any protest or visible things. It's also why protesting is important or a visual symbol, just that that mask is a visual symbol of a sick society, moral sick sick society, value sick society. I wish that there would be a symbol that signifies, yeah, yeah, I know what's going on. I'm awake. And you see uh, yeah. the mask, but you see below, oh, yeah. And you just wink at the person. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's BS, man. Yeah, I know it's BS. And like half of the tram knows that it's BS. And then you visually yeah. see like, yes, we are awakening. Yeah. We are getting bigger. And I think that is something that we're missing. And when they go on to prohibit protests, I mean, people are going to get desperate. And I think that yeah. they're pushing it so much and so far and so fast. I think there will pushing be a clash. It, yeah. yeah, they're pushing it too hard and too fast. And I, I, I also think there be there be a, a big clash. How is it? Because like in Eastern Europe, people are like they they stand up for 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 themselves. So how is it over there? Well, it depends here. You know, there hasn't been a lot of protests here. The measures are a bit less, but you still have that communist mentality. So you kind of have that rebel attitude, like we'll comply, but partly not comply. But I live in Hungary, which oftentimes has chosen the wrong side or had these naive revolutions that they felt defeated. So you have a bit of a defeatist attitude. So I don't know. Yeah. But the countries often who know communism stand up more for certain values and their nationality, which I think is also great. When I'm traveling to Spain, Belgium, I want to see the culture. I want to see the differences. I don't want to go in 10 years like, hey, I was Italy. Well, you know, the, the Starbucks was great and the McDonald's, you know, all that stuff is like closed. There's also beautiful yeah. things and differences, you know, like I don't want a global institute of health, global institute of client, global institute of finances. And it's like, what can we do? I don't know. You know, it's this is also the thing how it's hard to attack an enemy. You could in the French Revolution, let's kill the king and go to the king. And you're with pitchforks there and you get him out like, yes, we did it. But now where is the enemy? How do we tackle this system? How do we overthrow it? You know, it's like the tentacles are so worldwide. You know, that's also why... You want to also invest your energy time focus wisely because this is this is a long-term alternative bottom-up we're creating. This won't be just a revolution on a square and bam, no. we have our sovereignty back, you know. I honestly believe that revolution is Bitcoin. And mm-hmm. it's actually pretty simple. People just opting out of the fiat monetary system and going into uh, Bitcoin, into decentralized monetary technologies, decentralized media, decentralized everything. So I think that's that's a true revolution. And I think that's our best chance or best hope we have. And I think in the, the coming 10 years, people will start to see and actually act uh, upon that information. If people want to know more about what you do, creating financial freedom and the money matrix, where can they find out more about what you do and what you are? Well, they can just uh, visit my website. It's uh, moneymatrix.be or find me on Instagram at uh, Benjamin van Dorslaar. And there they, they can have a very good uh, idea of what I do. But maybe important information that for now, the, the course and the community and the coaching is still uh, in Dutch. So we don't have an, an English version yet. If there is enough interest, uh, definitely worth looking at that. But momentarily, we're uh, a Dutch, uh, Dutch course and coaching and uh, community. All right. And for the other people who are maybe English and listening or also the Dutch people who want to get acquainted with like Bitcoin, are there some videos, courses, resources that you think like that's very useful to follow, to know what's going on and have a background? Yeah, sure, sure. I think the most important book you can read right now 
is the Bitcoin standard of mm -hmm. uh, Saifedean Amuts. It's uh, available in, in many different languages, but it's basically where I always recommend everybody to start. And of course, yeah, YouTube is filled with great information on Bitcoin and crypto. But start with that book. A lot will, will become clear. Thanks so much for being a guest on my podcast and also creating uh, financial freedom to be a financial freedom fighter. It's been an honor to have you on the podcast and let's create some parallel communities with people with integrity who value things, take personal responsibility and uh, create a brighter future, man. It was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Let's do it. Thanks for the invite. And uh, it was my pleasure, man. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and support our mission of freedom of speech. With increasing restrictions on fundamental freedoms, we believe that now, more than ever, is the time for you to be an online coach or consultant and become independent from the system. That's why we created the Client Closer Academy. Learn how to consistently enroll clients and join a community of fellow free thinkers who value personal responsibility, speaking their truth, and making an impact. Find out more at clientcloser.com slash academy. Rant over.